This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. And you know what? Energy does matter. Indeed it does. This show features the brain trust of all things energy. My co-host is John Noel, energy expert, former legislator, and Tennessee-raised Presbyterian. John, welcome back. Good morning. And we've got some great folks in the studio today. Uh, returning guest, Andrew Saunders, who's the athens Clark County Sustainability Director, who just recently christened a, a tracking solar array at the wastewater treatment plant. We're going to hear about it in a minute. Welcome back, Andrew. Yeah, thanks for having me. And at our third mic today, Dr. Jackie Tidwell from the University of Georgia. Welcome, Dr. Tidwell. Thank you. It's great to be here. And I can't wait to get into your research today. John, I think we could probably offer continuing education credits by the time this show is over today. I am pretty sure I need it. You know, Dr. Tidwell is the director of the Social Responsibility and Science Communication Lab at UGA, uh, where she's currently overseeing a study funded by the Department of Energy Solar Energy Technology Office. And in the project, she's working with UGA Corporative Extension to go out into both urban and rural communities across the state to better understand why people adopt solar or why they don't, uh, and to better inform policy decisions and people like me who are making decisions about solar, as well as helping to reduce the cost of solar for folks in communities who do want to adopt it. But first, Andrew, this project that we that we witnessed yesterday at the wastewater treatment plant let's talk let's, let's talk a little bit about that and then i want to play the audio uh from michael perkins of radiant solar uh this is kind of your brainchild why did you want to do this project out there well what i love most about this project is it started with one sheet of paper so i brought an analysis to our management that showed hey guys i think that this will pencil out um and so over time that was implemented we really like the wastewater treatment plants because it's a steady draw and it's a high demand which means we get our energy and scale which makes solar cheaper do these things run all night long using basically the same amount of energy they would in the daytime yes sir so they run pretty steady 24 hours throughout the day and what's really interesting about ours is we actually see our peak at about uh, 11 to 2 which is after people have flushed all their toilets and done their dishes in the morning Wow. How is that possible? Oh, it's just the trickle-down effect to the system. Yeah, where gravity flows, so it takes a few hours for all that to reach the plant. Interesting. Delayed reaction. All right, let's hear the audio from Michael Perkins as, as Energy Matters goes outside. We interrupt this episode of Energy Matters to take you outdoors. On the road again. Well, the exciting thing about this plant is that because of its topography, we really had to find a unique racking solution. And we found that in a company called Sumfolding. They've really kind of reinvented racking instead of getting, getting away from mechanical and gear-based, and they do a hydraulic-based, it's all with air bladders. And they're able to do much smaller rows so you can deal with the topography. So you can see in this site, there's five different levels uh, and ranging from, I don't know, 30 feet down to you know, 30 feet above. It, it's pretty challenging. So we went out and found a, what we think is a good vendor. And they're a startup, they're brand new. Uh, this was their first project in the Southeast. And, you know, we're, we're excited to, to be a part of that. So this is a 614.7 uh, kilowatt DC system. 
Uh, it's a sell-all, so every bit of this energy goes back onto the utility grid to Georgia Power and is distributed to uh, the people in the area, to the neighbors down the road. Actually, some of this energy is going to get used at this plant because the uh, lines that it's into f also feed this plant. So it, it's probably going to end up circulating right around here a lot. But it goes back onto the grid as a, a sell-all with Georgia Power. Well, I've been interested in wastewater treatment, which is a, a funny thing to say, just because they're not going anywhere. These are usually permanent infrastructure facilities for municipalities. Um, usually people don't want to live next door to them, so you've got clear, cheap land in the area. And wastewater facilities also have constant draw. They're on you know, 24-7, 365 days a year. They don't take you know, 4th of July off, and neither does the sun. So it just it seems like a, a match made in heaven to, to put these two you know, uh, uh, utilities together. We now resume our regular scheduled program. John, Michael told me that uh, Tracker Technology came out of MIT. It, it was a different type of technology. And I, I'd been down to Taylor County and, and met with a young man who was in charge of the grease gun for the actuators down there huh. uh, for that thousand acres of solar panels. And that's all he did every day was, wow. was, was go from one one array to the next. So that's and one it, job that's it, certain. Yeah, that's yeah. certain. And he was getting paid nicely for it. So these jobs, and as we've talked about before, these green energy jobs do pay a little bit more. Andrew, the technology, why did y'all go with that new tracking technology? Well, we had some unique scenarios at the water plant. So it was, it was tiered because it used to be the old plant. It was kind of plateaus. And that technology allowed us to get away from some of the equipment used with trackers. Uh, we also like the idea that uh, we believe it'll be more reliable and require less maintenance over the long term. Yeah, and, and so the electrons, you know, they're going back onto the Georgia Power system, but truth be told, they're going to be used at the plant and in and, in and around that uh, Cedar Creek, Barnett Shoals area, right? Yes, sir. So how, talk to me about the finances of that. So how much money are we, how much money did you lay out for this project? So the total project was just at a million dollars. Uh, we have between a 15 and 17 year ROI, and we were fortunate enough to enter a 20 year agreement with the utility company. They would have done more. They would have gone as long as 40. Mm. Uh, but we're, we're somewhat restricted as a government on the types of long-term commitments we can make. Right. Um, but even after 20 years, we can either renegotiate that contract or we can start using that power on site. That's great. Yeah, so you can just go what we call behind the meter after the contract, uh, and you've got plenty of use for that energy 24-7. So it really makes a lot of sense. Kudos, Andrew. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, Dr. Tidwell, let's turn to you. I've, I've introduced you. Uh, you're, you know, you're, you're very smart, and you've done a lot of great things, and uh, you're still gathering up this information. And I think we've all heard that perception is reality. Uh, but I wonder if, if that's the case with energy. Do people even care where their energy comes from? What's most important to them? I, I want us to dive into this with all of our panel of experts today. So, you know, I think about you know, what I want as a commissioner, I want a reliable grid, I want affordable power, but you've written a lot about energy perception. And I want to ask you, why, why, did it, why does it even matter what people think in this regard? Well, as you said, perception is reality, and that's how we make our decisions. And the reason why energy perceptions are particularly important is because we tend to use those perceptions when we go vote for certain measures, when we choose to invest in certain technologies or not. And those decisions end up scaling when you factor in all of our neighbors. And frankly, that ends up creating national change and impetus. And in the face of 
big issues coming out of some of our great renewable technologies now, like, for example, the duck curve, which I don't know if you guys have talked we about have with talked your about audience. We have talked about the duck curve, uh-huh. but let's review that for so, our audience today. Yeah, so the duck curve is an interesting thing. It's essentially a representation, right, of the fact that solar does a great job of covering our needs, for example, during the day. And unless we leverage other technologies, like, for example, batteries or alternative sources that are more stable, for example, like nuclear power, it can become a bit of a problem because then you have that that classic case of the rolling blackouts and things that we experienced out west decades ago and for some folks really recently, and it becomes a bit of a problem. And so when we understand how people perceive of different technologies, it frankly gives us opportunities to determine, frankly, the education that they need. Yeah, John, I was mm. talking to one of the uh, large-scale solar guys the other day and I mean, there's kind of a battle between the the DG and the large scale guys, and this year's defined for folks energy with DG plan. Means. So distributed generation would okay. be uh, would be stuff like at the plant that Andrew did, or on your home. Hmm. Um, but I, I like the way that he uh, that he characterized it. He said talking about solar, he was he was saying we. He said, you know, in most of our solar arrays, we go home at 5:30, mm. and he said batteries allow us. To stay on another four hours, you know, to yeah. take it to nine thirty. I mean, you we talked about batteries before, but you really have great hopes in it. I mean, you've got it in your home, but from a utility scale, mm-hmm. do you see it being a game changer with our large scale utility? It is. I, you know, I I just got back from Australia, and Australia is one of these great cases. I see I see uh, the good doctor over here nodding her head. Yes, Australia is a classic case of where you had brownouts, you had all this energy infrastructure is being overwhelmed by the demand. But they had so much capacity that was being created in the evening times by all this wind out west of Sydney, Australia, where they had this big metropolis. They built a huge battery bank. They grabbed all that energy, weren't using it at night. Suddenly, they could use it during that duck curve and smooth out the back of the duck. And it, because only, and as you look at a graph, it looks like a duck. It's worth Googling. Um, that, is, that is something that uh, is in very important, and batteries are going to be the transformational idea. Now, of course... I'm going to jump ahead and say, I don't think we need the nuke plants. I don't think we need new, new, new things. You know, new generation is really where I'm going. And so I think as we do that, uh, we'll be able to use batteries and solar. So going back to this whole perception thing uh, and what people think, I mean, if you travel around just the state of Georgia and you go to, say, Albany or somewhere in southwest Georgia, they – they have a lot of pine trees down there, a lot of pine plantations. People are used to walking through those, hunting on those. They are, you know, so maybe a member of their family was a truck driver and, or, or worked on a chipping crew or a logging crew, and they are very favorable to using thin pine plantations or salvage timber, uh, like on the ground from the storm. You go up to, like, Milledgeville or, uh, or, or Eatonton, Georgia, where there was a coal plant. Those folks really like that uh, because it provided jobs it provided tax money for the school system but then you go over to a place like decatur or here in athens and everyone's really talking about 100 percent clean energy so the perception piece it changes it's relative almost isn't it it is it's extremely tied to our sense of place and identity so a lot of folks you know try to make it completely political in nature they they like to politicize the polarity that exists between our as i like to talk about our energy identities and our energy dialects because part of my background is i'm a linguist and i study the way people speak differently and discovered along the way that the way that we speak is a whole lot similar to the way that we choose 
um, to view energy in the world. And so when we talk about perceptions and look at them all over the state, we really do see those relationships between where we call home and what we choose to have as part of our energy mix, how closely tied together they are. Let's keep this conversation going. Stick around and Energy Matters will be right back. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to gemcarservice.com. That's G-E-M, carservice.com. John, one of our sponsors for the show, Row Insulating Company, is doing a great job in and around Athens, being able to do a lot of what we talk about every single week on the show. You get, every time it gets cold, every time it gets hot, it's always a, it's always that attic that's the problem. And uh, you could attack windows, and that's going to cost you a cold fortune. It is insulation that can solve the problem. Hey, if you want to get this fixed, call 706-795-2854. That's 706-795-2854, Row Insulating Company. Rope. Support for Energy Matters comes from Arnold, Golden, and Gregory. AGG takes a business sensibility approach when advising clients. AGG provides industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief, not if, but how. We appreciate their weekly support of Energy Matters. Sponsors are how it gets done. That's right. Dr. Uh, Jackie Tidwell, I, welcome back, and it's uh, delighted to have you in studio here. Um, I, your studies uh, help us to better understand the perception of how solar is thought of and is changing in rural Georgia. Can you tell us more about that? The quick answer is that we really don't know about the perceptions of rural Georgians because we don't really have that much data out there about I'm solar surprised. Uns- yeah. I, actually, no. I, there's plenty of data because when people don't like something, they call me and they complain. Well, so right. Tim- I'm not, and I am not getting complaints about about solar in rural Georgia because you know the paper's coming out. They're doing a photo of the county commissioner and the chamber president and the Qantas pl- president and the <laughs> school board chairman, and and everybody's getting credit for this. They love it. It's improving their tax dollars. So I, I think, Andrew, that it's, it's having an impact. So what I would offer is that you're not getting complaints out of rural Georgia, but I'm getting complaints from Athens, which I find weird, because if we can find ways to bring people in rural Georgia to be supportive of renewable energy, I'm happy. And that supports our overall needs. I'm not super concerned about where it's being deployed. Yeah. And I don't know why people in Athens would complain. And I don't know why they're not buying the community solar that Georgia Power is offering either. But that's for a different... Is it a cost thing? I mean, is that... But that yeah, also you... objection was coming out of rural Georgia, too. I mean, yeah, what do you think, time. Dr. Tidwell? It does in our interviews. So that's where people tend to start. They'll say, well, it's it's too expensive for it's me. too expensive, And right. so part of our, our interview is that we dig deeper and we ask them other questions about it. And it always comes down to something else that isn't financial. It has to do with either their particular points of view about their land and their tie to it, and mm. thus not wanting to to cut down any unnecessary trees uh, that for them are, are really important to them. And or it may also go down to things like religion. And my favorite one that came out of an interview we just did a couple weeks ago, solar isn't for rural people. It wasn't designed for them. There is a perception about that as far as it being an urban thing. It's a city person thing. It's not for country folks. Well, who who creates the perception? I mean, where are they 
Where are they hearing That's this at? On, on TV? Are they reading about it You know, uh, in the newspaper? What's causing them to think about solar the way they're thinking about it? So, Tim, you're g- giving me the opportunity to get to talk about my favorite thing in the world, which is this beautiful thing called design thinking, which is Whoa. all about, yeah, so design Jargon thinking. Alert. Yeah, exactly. One of those wonderful buzzwords people hate to hear coming out of folks like me. But it's this way of approaching uh, creating new technologies or new services where you start with people. You start with watching them with talking to them with this this beautiful Mm. concept of empathizing with them right and for folks in these rural communities the ones that we're talking to it comes up with regularity that solar isn't for them because it wasn't designed for them and the Uh. marketing hasn't been designed for them it's all about smart cities right so when we talk about smart cities what are we then relegating Right. The rural perspective rural areas that have one light. You know, or we've, no yeah. we've talked on this show about the perception about, say, of electric scooters, mm-hmm. right? And John's ridden them. I've ridden them. I've had a bad experience. He's had a good experience. And I had a perception, right? I tried it, and then, you know, I had reality, you know, and now my perception has evolved. Do you think it's kind of the same way with, with solar? They drive by it every day, they see it. Maybe they saw the article in the paper. Maybe their child is studying about it in, in their science class at school. They come home, hey, Dad, Mom, take a look at this. Is it is it kind of a drip thing like that? I think it can be. Um, and that's the really great thing about us working with the Cooperative Extension is that we're actually finding out that, one, most people will say, well, I, I won't adopt it because it's not for me. And then we find out it's because they don't understand it. And we know from other Extension programming that the more we educate people, and especially when we educate the kids, um, it ends up coming up a conversation at home. I know some of what I've seen uh, nationwide is that one of the best predictors of who will use renewable energy is whether or not they know somebody that has renewable energy. And that's that's Good that point. is a huge, huge piece of insight and work that's coming out of some of my colleagues up in the Northeast is that we're finding out that the more the less proximity you have to a renewable energy source, the more likely you are to adopt it. Um, the the same thing is true, though, about it coming up in conversation. We have an interview that we conducted just last week where we were talking to someone, and she said, she's like, well, we just don't talk about it in Appling County. We just don't talk about it. Therefore, you know, we don't need it, and we don't want it because we don't same, talk about it. by the it. way, is true of electric cars. Mm-hmm. When I drove all over the state, m- many of the rural areas didn't have, well, they certainly didn't have chargers, and very few, if anybody, had an electric car, and in some cases is the first electric car many people had seen. Well, if you think about the rural areas, they were the last to get telephones. They were the last to get mail service. They were the last to get electricity. And all of those are technology, we could say. Uh, And, you know, with solar and electric cars, you know, as it comes there, it's surprising that they were the first to get utility-scale solar in our state, yet, yet they may not be happy about that. Yeah. So let me ask you about these county extension agents. Uh, I don't, I don't know about y'all, but I have called my county extension office when I lived in Gwinnett, when I lived in Jackson County. You know, you ask advice, how long, you know, I, le- I left some chicken out on the counter. How long can it sit before I can, you know, uh, b- before I have to throw it out or, you know, questions about, you know, your soil. What about these county extension agents who've traditionally been experts in the home or the garden and the farm? Do they feel good about solar? So I don't actually think that's the right question to ask if they feel good about it. What we're finding is that most of them are indifferent. Um, They really just want what's best for their communities. And so they are most interested in doing these interviews for us um, to find out what their communities need. And what's been really phenomenal about this is that they have been inspired by what they've heard from the people in their communities and are many of them 
working together now to create new programs and new educational opportunities for their communities. Shameless plug, uh, we're actually adding solar to our new county extension facility, and we anticipate it being a teaching tool for the people that visit that facility. We should talk. Ah. (laughs) You you know, what a lot of folks don't realize is that all of this big solar that's come in below the avoided cost of energy, cheaper than coal, uh, around our state. Say that again. It's cheaper, cheaper than, than coal. coal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And and it goes home at five thirty, but it's cheaper right, than right, coal fair. while it's, it's at work. It's fair. Uh, it's fair. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but so. a lot of folks don't know that it's actually causing rates to go down. Every person on that Georgia Power Network is incrementally getting a, a paying a tiny bit less because of the acquisition of that solar. Maybe that's a message, John, that we need to emphasize that it's actually saving people money. Yeah, I, I don't think people understand that. Yeah. I really don't. And, and I also think this is, this is 1970s mentality when things were very expensive, the stuff was in its infancy. Uh, you know, Carter put the first solar panels on the White House, and then Reagan ripped them off because it was stupid and didn't make any economic sense according to him. I mean, those, those, that's sort of that, that thing. You had an early adopter, and then you had the resistance. And I think that same mentality is sort of out there. You know, sometimes solar is is deployed for other reasons than financial. I think about companies that have what I call show solar. They don't really have uh, sustainability in their DNA, but they've heard it's great PR. Hey, let's, let's, let's plop a little bit of that out there. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, and they get some PR benefit. I think about what we're doing at Sapelo Island in putting solar on the library in the Gula Geechee community. And I, I met with the folks that are donating that, and they said, you know, Tim, you do realize that the payback on this is 20 years. And I said, well, you know, in this case, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's a 100 because, year asset. <laughs> because we've promised it to them, and folks on that island ha- have been disappointed year after year as people have said they're going to do things and they don't do things. And I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be the last person that reneges on a commitment that we made. I don't care how long it takes. We're going to get this thing done for them. That will become the pride of the island. I would be anxious to see after we get the solar deployed at Sapelo, to have some of your students go down, interview the 43 residents that are there, and say, hey, what do you think about that solar array over there? We should. Uh, and we just, should do it before and after. Yeah, and, and see Ooh. what the what what the perception is on Sapelo Island about solar. And, and think about how batteries are going to change things when a year from now, five years from now, battery price is so low, we just plop a battery on next to that and you have instant resiliency after storms you said my favorite word and my my new favorite thing i've been i've been doing a lot of talking about with these energy perceptions which is all about how we can harness this as data to enhance rural resilience in the wake of smart cities jackie you nail on it yeah and resilience is you know it is the latest buzzword but i think it's legitimate because resilience allows us really to get folks back on, have a better experience, increase customer satisfaction. And it leverages the existing solar we have or are developing and makes it just more robust. Yes, you know, if you, if you look at the energy plan that's been proposed in our state this year, uh, that's, that's going to be essentially rolled out over the next 20 years, it, it has a just a continual closure of coal plant after coal plant over the next 20 years. So, you know, what what's going to be able to replace that uh, and obviously it's solar plus batteries i Bingo. think john uh, it's not going to be you know exclusively that obviously we've got you know a nuclear plant that we're committed to finishing and and, and frankly that thing's going to 
that thing's going to be running 24-7. What do you think about uh, folks and their perception of nuclear energy in Georgia? Well, that, that is one of the, the vanguard frontier areas that I hope to get to go to next. What we do know from looking at the openly available, available documents from the nuclear power industry is that, you know, it's a mixed bag. People who are closer to the nuclear plant overall tend to be more positive about it. And then the further away you get, it, it tends to become more negative. But on the whole, it's going to be great to look at that, especially as we think about other emerging technologies like small modular reactors that are going to come on the scene. So am I hearing that we should build the next one in Atlanta? <laughs> oh, don't know about that. Yeah, we're not talking about so any more plants right now. I do think it, it probably will eventually happen. But, you know, if you look at Vogel 1 and 2, the uh, the cost overruns on that, 87 and 89. And so it really, it really took 20 years after those two units were built before folks had an appetite to do it again. And, and I would argue that, that we may not even be in the position of needing more power plants because we, efficiency is happening so fast and the curve of energy consumption is actually starting to go down. So energy does matter and the way you produce it matters and the cost of it matters. And we're going to continue to talk with Dr. Tidwell and Andrew Saunders about what's happening in our state and the perception that folks have about energy, the prices, the plants and all things related to energy. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at gassouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your one, two, or five dollar checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by BMW Auto Sales. Support for Energy Matters this half hour comes from BMVW Auto Sales, the only place to get your used electric car in Metro Atlanta. Mosin and his staff will loan you an EV for three days to check it out, and you won't be disappointed with the deal you get there. See more at ev-hybrid.com. They're cool folks. They got great products. Only one in Atlanta. Yeah, ev-hybrid.com. They've got some great deals. I think folks are going to be surprised at how cheap those older Nissan Leafs are, how low the mileage is. John, I've had two of them. You've had one. Yeah. Uh, It's a great experience. Andrew, Athens-Clark, have they ventured into, hadn't their police department ventured into some EVs? So we had one one EV uh, that we actually turned back in on lease. We're now looking at accelerating the use of hybrids, and we think we'll go to EVs in the next few years. You know, nothing to be ashamed about using hybrids. Uh, they are a great resource, uh, and certainly California's bought half the Priuses made, I understand, so it certainly had an impact there. Uh, we're back in studio with Dr. Tidwell and Andrew Saunders. Dr. Tidwell, we've been talking about energy perception, and it's unfortunate that folks' perception of electric cars, especially in rural areas, is so bad. And I would think it's it's worse than any technology I can think of. They just think they're silly and 
unusable and I, we've got a long way to go with electric cars. Well, it'd be nice to, to get some funding to go do a study on that and find out exactly why. My, if I can Good luck with this administration. <laughs> well, my, my conjecture would be it's because they're, they frankly don't know a lot about them. Yeah, uh, no, when, I think that's true. Hey, when, now, careful on the administration. She's got a grant from the Department of Energy. It's right probably now, studying, Obama studying, era. Studying, studying solar. I was right at the transition. Oh, I was right, right at the transition, transition. yeah. I mean, yeah. could part of this be as well because people in rural communities just use vehicles completely different from people in urban communities? That's a really good hypothesis that I would wager the there would be some The gentleman's correct. Yeah. yeah uh, so if we had an F-150. There's a lot of range had a 400 anxiety. mile yeah. range that would outrun a, you know, a Camaro, uh, that that might make a difference. Let's talk about, I mean, that's a resilience thing, right? Um, folks are worried about conserving their resources because frankly, they don't want to put themselves at risk. Right. And, and electric vehicles, there's a lot of additional education that's needed both by users, but also by the people who want us to use them to make sure that people are prepared. I think once you show a farmer that he could charge his truck from the solar panels at his house, he would really like that a lot better than having to drive down to the gas station. Potentially. You know, farmers have used propane on tractors uh, before, certainly. Let's talk about these storms and natural disasters that have happened and, you know, how rural Americans make decisions about energy technology after they experience a natural disaster. So, if you look at what's happened in southwest Georgia, there's a lot of trees on the ground. They're being moved. Our uh, session, legislative session, went in session to fund some of that removal money so that folks could, you know, could get the stuff off of their land. You all are in process of doing a study. Tell us how you've constructed that study and what you hope to learn. Well, it kind of happened upon us. We were already doing this research going out across the state to find out why people adopt solar or not, right? And then Michael happens. Um, so we've been able to use our existing protocol to just really have additional conversations with folks and ask them because what we've noticed is that the interviews we conducted before the hurricane in some of the Southwest District, um, the perceptions seem to have like changed slightly. And what I mean by that is that people now are a bit more welcome to the conversation insofar as energy diversification potentially could be something that could help them in the wake of another natural disaster. Hmm. You know, John, I think about Ted Turner and uh, and his daughter, Laura, mm-hmm. and their son, John R., yep. uh, all friends. Yep, good people. They own, uh, they own a lot of timberland outside of Albany. Uh, and they have talked to me before about the importance of thinning and coming up with an economic model where those thinned uh, trees uh, that are taken out would be able to be chipped and used for some useful purpose. And we wound up building a 50 megawatt uh, unit there at the Procter & Gamble facility where wood chips are used to make the steam for toilet paper that's made at that plant and then turn the turbine uh, to generate 50 megawatts of electricity mm-hmm. uh, that goes uh, online. So certainly you take an environmental family like that that's very involved with timber and they understand biomass and I, I think it really rounds out you know the sustainability picture in a state like Georgia with 26 million acres of trees. Right. So let's talk more about these perceptions. And now felled trees after this hurricane. Yeah. That's right. So what are you what are you hoping you know to what is your, I guess, your hypothesis and what you're hoping to learn from the Southwest Georgia study? 
Our hypothesis is that exposure to natural disasters kind of primes the ability to have new conversations and new educational opportunities around different energy sources is what we're what we're hypothesizing. Mm-hmm. Um, so to explain the fact that, you know, after something like Hurricane Michael or a flood or a tornado or what have you, you know, people, because they're having to rebuild and because they're having to make new decisions about emerging technologies, it becomes a really good opportunity to talk about what they can do in thinking forward and having those future visioning opportunities. Interesting. So because of Michael, there's millions of tons of timber that are on the ground there. How have you noticed that impacting people that live there? Well, as we know, right, according to the Georgia Forestry Commission, that there was severely catastrophic damage, right, in Seminole County, Decatur, and parts of like Southern Early, and that that was estimated around 763 million. So I think it's we haven't been able to go out and do the research down there yet, but I think it's a really good opportunity. And fortunately, our extension professionals are excited to begin thinking about how they can incorporate energy programming into the offerings that they already have to, to go out there and, and start finding out where the needs are and then be able to turn that into data that we can share with the, the energy industry to see what the best response is, but it coming from the local people, not from an outsider going, you need my stuff. So that's we're talking then about the revamping of energy infrastructure. And with the revamping of any energy infrastructure, there's a workforce that does it. Yes. And you're a linguist. Uh, how do you talk about this workforce as it relates to the revamping of energy infrastructure all the way down to the nuclear industry, the transmission lines, solar. Tell me about that. Well, so if we want to begin cultivating really good energy workforce training, we need to have greater empathy for the folks that are already working in those industries and understanding their stories. So I grew up, I'm a nuclear brat. My, my father uh, started- So don't throw the coal guy under exactly. the bus. Exactly. Okay. Don't, don't, okay. well, they're not cold. Nuclear is green. Uh, not green, but clean, excuse me. Um, but there's a lot of, frankly, a, a lack of knowledge about that industry in particular. And, and the leaders of that industry are now getting to the place where they're like, you know, yeah, there there are some human factors issues in our past, but we need to be more open and transparent about the good that we do in our industry and the qualities that are in it. And having grown up around it with a father who started out from pretty much nothing uh, and working outages to now being the chief Whoa. nuclear officer of a utility out on the West Coast um, in the state of Washington, which is owned and operated by the state. Yeah, you know, I grew up getting to see how responsible, and what I mean by responsible is the responsibility and accountability to the public mm-hmm. folks in that industry are, to where I think there's opportunities to go behind the fence or behind the grid, behind, you know, your socket, to learn about the people, and then use those stories to create the best kind of workforce training that doesn't just look at the technical capabilities, but also ethics and all of these other issues that tend to, frankly, uh, create big problems when you're talking about emerging tech and energy. Yeah, I, I, what I, one of the things I like most, and I don't like a lot, about the propaganda that I get from Georgia Power and the uh, in the new in these in these things that the inserts that are in the bills, what I like is their stories uh, about uh, the lines people, and 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 how they're helping do things and how uh, how hard a job it is and all the safety requirements and make sure to yield your vehicle as you're driving down rural roads to to linesmen and women that might be working on those. I like that, and and they do talk a lot about that, and there's a lot of jobs that do that stuff. And you do understand, especially because you guys have mentioned it a couple of times, right? The the solar arrays, you know, they, they quit at 530. Nuclear power plants and some of those others, they don't. 
Yeah, fact, that's right. I've There's had, a base load. My father demand. nearly had to leave my own wedding because there was going to be a potential issue at the plant. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, John, I wish every school child, you know, in Georgia could go to a paper mill and go to a nuclear plant, go to a solar array and see how I these things see how these things happen. You know, I think you know, if you just think about if you think about just the forest industry and how a tree comes into a pine tree comes into a mill, the bark is pulled yeah. off and the bark is used. You know, they make, you know, many products, the paper that's in front of me, our toilet paper, diaper fluff is made from this material, so many things. Hmm. Uh, and it is a very sustainable industry, but the average kid doesn't really understand how it works. You're so right. Then those average kids become, right, taxpayers and voters, mm -hmm. and they have less knowledge about those things. And then they are voting and making big decisions, not only for their local areas, but right. then in aggregate for the country, which yeah. then exaggerates uh, this gap that we now have between when experts create national policy and local communities go, eh, we're not going to adopt it because, well, we don't understand it. Right. And certainly having really. kids that aren't afraid of science, uh, that aren't afraid of technology, like you growing up with a dad that worked at a nuclear plant, it's it's just commonplace to you and you're you're used to it uh, did you ever go with your dad to work did you ever see the facility well so obviously there are certain security measures and protections in place but i have been behind the fence several times and i've gone through security and gotten to see everything that's you know that's going on and and the various ways in which people do all of the different kinds of work that's not just for example monitoring in a control room and right. i think it's those kinds of experiences when you see the people right yeah. the the humans and, and and frankly they would tell you no we we are a community and we are our community. When you right. know that, it makes the science real. But more importantly, um, it's the focus on just the science or just the operations that has caused severe problems and, and thus the, the terrible stories in history. Well, we're talking about perception and how people perceive energy. How do they perceive uh, their life after a natural disaster? We've got Dr. Jackie Tidwell in our studio. Uh, she's a UGA professor. We've also got the Sustainability Director of athens Clark County. Andrew Saunders in our studio talking about some of their projects. John, we got some good stuff that we're talking good about. Let's, let's keep our guests around one sure. more segment and talk about what's happening in our state. Let's continue the discussion about energy and data justice that Dr. Tidwell has studied, as well as some of the role on design thinking and innovation. A lot of good stuff. Have another cup of coffee, folks, uh, and sit back and get your continuing education credit here at Energy Matters. You've heard about Gem Cars on Energy Matters. Made by Polaris in Anaheim, California. These street-legal, small electric vehicles go where golf carts are not allowed. Equipped with seatbelts, headlights, optional doors, and a tag, Gem Cars and Trucks are perfect for shuttles, corporate, or college campus use. In fact, Georgia Tech has over 100 of them. The new generation Gems have many options when selecting the battery type, onboard chargers, and enclosures to suit the climate. Go to GemCarService.com to find out more. That's G-E-M-CarService.com. Hey, it's Commissioner Tim Eccles, host of Energy Matters. I want to tell you about Kevin Rowe and Rowe Insulating Company. If you need insulation anywhere within 60 miles of Athens, Georgia, you need to call 706-795-2854. It's important, isn't it, John? It's, it is the most important thing you can do in your house. It's the low-hanging fruit of everything that we talk about on Energy right. Matters every single week. That's exactly right. Yeah, call 706-795-2854. That's 706-795-2854. Rowe Insulating Company. Get comfortable. 
Welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm Tim Eccles, your host at Twitter. I'm Tim Eccles. John, you're at New Energy Guy. New Energy Andrew, Guy. you are ACC Green and Dr. Tidwell, The Why Supply. And we would direct folks to your website, The Why, W-H-Y, Supply. Org. And if you just take a look at the Matters Radio Twitter handle site, we're going to put that up there for you to see. Well, let me ask you, Dr. Tidwell, about the hostility that I sense between folks, say, in Asheville or San Francisco. All those liberal places. All those liberal places. And in places in southwest Georgia, their perception of, of, of trees and the purpose of trees and how that plays out. Andrew, you've had some experience with that as well. Yeah, uh, I'll pull my soapbox up here because poor John had to hear it at lunch the other day. No. I'm one of the few people in the energy market that's ever coordinated a timber harvest. And I think that biomass is just a misunderstood animal. People have this idea coming out of those communities you mentioned that we're cutting down these majestic forests, these huge oaks, and we're, we're grinding them up and we're burning them and, that, and then all it's just bad. But that's not reality at all. The reality is we're taking waste products that otherwise are left in the field, and it's creating this kind of disparity between rural communities that are hands-on with forestry and understand this and see this as a value add, and urban communities that have placed a lot of emotion in forest. And so it's interesting to watch that play out. I'd be interested to know what Dr. Tidwell has to say. Um all I can say is that it would be fantastic to gather some of those opinions. You actually reminded me of the fact that we just did, uh, about a week and a half ago, a little exercise with some engineering students at UGA, giving them some maps of the country and asking them where they thought people adopted different renewable energy sources. Now, these are kids Ooh. that are being trained to actually go and design those products. Yeah, when we talked to them about bioenergy and biomass, it was actually kind of entertaining because they they assume that even people in our own state are somewhat averse to it so it's there's huh. a there's a lot of need and work in that john i was listening you know i was an english major and and i love c.s lewis and i love J.R. token the, the, mm. the chronicles of narnia i was mm. listening with my daughter as we were so taking a hobbit a, uh yeah I'm, I'm kind of a hobbit uh as we were I'm very short uh but as we were going down to um to south georgia we were listening to one of the chronicles of narnia and lewis would have would have lived nicely in Asheville because in the story uh in that last battle uh which is his last the seventh of the chronicles of Narnia the trees you know come alive and they they are in Narnia the trees are alive they're dryads and naiads and uh, and in that story a lot of people argue they're alive now yeah well they are alive now yeah but you know, alive I'm like not they kidding. like I mean, there's they research talked, out of Germany right? they walked yeah, yeah okay yeah, yeah I gotcha yeah. so yeah. but they were being cut down yeah uh, and these were the talking you know talking living trees and anyway he he set this up so if you if you haven't had a chance to listen to the last battle which is the last chronicle uh order that you know where you get your your ebooks or check it out it's it's very interesting to hear that uh let me ask you about impactful stories Dr. Tidwell, you, you hear a lot of stories. You work with a lot of students. What are some of the most impactful stories you've heard so far? So impactful stories coming out of the field, probably the best one is one that I shared a little bit ago about how we have this growing perception that solar isn't for rural folks. Um, mm. That that has been particularly uh, interesting, especially as I share it back with our program managers and such back at DOE in Washington. They find that really surprising because, frankly, they assume and think that solar should be a 
a democratizing force, and yet we have entire groups of people who feel like they are being excluded from it right. just by the way that it's been designed and marketed. But even more interesting— It's like an elitist thing. Yeah. Exactly. But even more interesting, um, we've been able to to get some stories out of there regarding the need for, like I said before, energy education, but primarily around energy efficiency due to what's sad to say, the energy poverty epidemic in parts oh. of rural Georgia. So um, those have been some of the most telling stories where we talk to folks because we are obligated to talk to at least 50 percent of our informants being low and moderate income on each county's, uh, basically their median income per the census. And so what we've been finding out is that folks say, hey, I will or won't adopt solar, but you know, why would I do that even if I could afford it when I'm spending 120, 130 bucks a month on a really small house just to heat it in the winter? So now you're doing all this studying, and I'm, I'm one of these guys, people can call me a Democrat and liberal and all kinds of things you want to throw at me. One of the things we get hit with is people that do act, the academicians, all the studying. There's a lot of studying. Where does that actually translate into real world usage of that information. Okay, so one of one of the things I do outside of my day job is I'm actually a bit of an energy uh, data justice advocate. And what that means is that I actually do a lot of work and a lot of fighting to make sure that all of the research that all of us nerdy types out there in the field are doing is open and accessible and useful. And I guess that comes from having a father who's an engineer. How do use it? How exactly, do you how do you use it? So in the case of these stories, what we're able to do, like, like Tim said before, I'm a linguist and what I do is I actually use computers to analyze huge amounts of information. We're talking like millions and millions and millions of words. And so I use software to see everyone's stories. So we're talking about our thousands of interviews we're conducting and be able to read those as one big book, if you will. So you're and to read NSA. it quickly. You talk about no, the no, I'm actually you more are, of a dictionary maker. No, no, I'm like the solar energy dick people dictionary. Okay. And and so what our hope is is that actually the energy industry can use these stories, both the individual ones but also the bigger story that we're able to glean to actually design better customer acquisition approaches to to Don't have better relationships with their yeah. potential customers and thus lower soft costs. And I don't know if you guys Ooh. have talked to your whoa, whoa, whoa. audience you about that. You start talking about lowering costs, you get my attention. Soft costs. Okay. So this, these are the costs that are outside of what it takes to produce those solar panels and construct them on your home. So we're talking about like permitting costs, marketing costs that get passed down to customers mm-hmm. and, and all of those kinds of things. And so our intent is that this data can get used by the energy sector to actually be able to better work with communities, more tactically deploy marketing programs, but then also so that folks like Tim can use it when they go to make their decisions and actually have like real data mm-hmm. in aggregate, which you collect anecdotally. Data is important. Uh, John, I remember a couple years ago we had a value of solar discussion uh, at the commission brought in a lot of experts Hmm. and the foremost expert on value of solar was a guy that used to run austin utilities in texas named carl rabigo and he teaches up uh, in new york at a law school up there and he made uh, a compelling case that there are certain aspects of solar that deserve to be compensated right so uh, line loss, for example, or maybe Ooh. it's on a congested circuit yeah. uh, and it's worth more. So that solar 
that electron in Buckhead, at a very in a very busy place in Atlanta, might be worth more than the electron down in Taylor County, which is currently the solar explain, capital. Explain that line loss and, and and the value you're talking about. Just give yeah. us a quick so, snapshot. Uh, of that. If you look at various characteristics about solar, you know, in fact, that there's no fuel. Right. It, it, that it's free fuel. That it lasts 30 years compared to, say, a wind turbine gearbox that has to be replaced maybe in two or three years. Or uh, an outage on a nuclear plant that's done, you know, every 18 months. So there's the, the, the solar is never really out. It never really goes away other than at night. So should we compensate, right, uh, the developer or the person that owns the project for that? attribute mm. and we've never really been able to make that happen in our state and, and i think it, there's a possibility that in the future that could change mm-hmm. but that's an important thing to look at when we talk about you know these forms of energy it's what, what are these intangibles or unintended consequences you know that either make it better or make it worse you know what what i would offer is there's always been this debate about net metering and true net metering and what is the value of solar is an incredible question and, and what you just said is it depends it depends on where it's out what time of day what time of season what i would offer is that the utility companies have actually valued those electrons through their net metering process so specifically the real-time pricing uh, we have facilities in athens where we get our electrons they tell us in the next hour these are valued at four cents or eight cents or a dollar. And so perhaps one day we could get to a model where it works the other way. And they tell solar owners, when you produce during, or renewable energy owners of all times, when you produce when we need it, it's worth more. And if you produce when we don't, it's worth less. So these pricing schemes. Uh, Gosh, and I, that would and be I the use, free market. Uh, that Crazy. I, that, that, Crazy. That I use in a good way when I use the word scheme. It. It is important, it's, and it's really what we talk about in a rate case that's coming up, R-A-T-E, and the rate case that we'll do with the power company uh, at the end of the year. So The monopoly power company that doesn't subscribe to the free market. But anyway, I digress. You know, John has a cynical view about, you know, about the power company, and he's entitled to that. But the fact of the matter is, it is the way our system is set up. And, it is. And so... You know, you, you, my job, you know, is not to be hostile to the power company and it's not to be hostile to solar. It's not to be hostile to any form of energy. It really is to try to look forward in our state and say, okay, what trends might happen? Will we ever have a price of carbon? What's natural gas going to cost in 20 years? How are we going to recycle these solar panels? You know, should we put offshore wind turbines outside of Tybee Island or Jekyll Island? How is this going to impact our state, our beaches, our coastal area? Those, the questions are good questions. Yep. And we rely on experts to tell us, here's what I think. Here's what the research says. So, Dr. Tidwell, the work that you're doing is very important. And we wish you really the best of luck as you continue to do these surveys, work with these students, do these projects. So, uh, you know, thank thank you very much for being here. Thank you for having me here. Yeah. Andrew, what's the next big thing coming up in uh, Athens-Clark with your renewable projects? Um, so we have three projects under development at our cooperative extension, a fire station, and we just got a grant to do a community center. But I think we're also going to pause for a minute and take a bigger look at energy planning in our community. Well, you've been listening to Energy Matters. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter. Andrew's at ACC Green. Uh, Dr. Tidwell's at the Y, W-H-Y Supply. 
John's at New Energy Guy, and I'm at Tim Eccles. And we invite you to go to WGAURadio.com and click on demand and listen to any of our back episodes. For now, energy does matter. Thank you for listening and enjoy your weekend. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, $2, or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you.